online, on your digital TV and on the ABC Listen app. It's five past nine on RN. A very good morning to you, Julian Morrow, with you. Thanks very much for tuning in to Sunday Extra. And we've got a cavalcade of remarkable Australians for you this hour. Our guest on The Year That Made Me is a doctor slash engineer who's a pioneer of bioengineering and has invented lots of important and often life-saving medical devices. And now at the age of 90, he's a member of the Order of Australia. And then we'll round off Sunday Extra today by meeting three of the young Australians of the year. But first, of course, we've got to do this. Tweet of the week. Yes, it's back, the tweet of the week, of course. Pretty simple. We play a mystery bird sound and you text your name and the name of the bird to the text line number. Hopefully it's saved in your RN contacts already, but if not, take this one down. It's 0418. 226-576, or you can text through the ABC Listen app, although I think that might be a little bit slower for those who are desperate to win. Your potential prize is the sheer kudos of winning the Tweet of the Week. And I'm told that we're starting off this year with an easy one, although I don't think there is such a thing for the year that made me, but I know many of you know these very well. Let's have a listen to something which is found in every state and territory and sounds like this. Yes, yeah, so 0418 is the number if you want to text in who, which that bird is. Uh, it's a sound of one of the most commonly encountered open country birds in Australia. About the only region you're not likely to find it is the driest interior of WA. It's found in pairs, groups, sometimes enormous flocks, never too far away from water. And when you encounter a big group, it sounds more like this. So there it is. There's your tweet of the week. If you know who's tweeting on mass, there, text your name and the name of the bird to 0418 226 and stay with us on Sunday Extra because the answer is coming up soon after this. The year that made me. Our guest on the first year that made me for 2024 is one of the freshly minted officers of the Order of Australia because a couple of days ago on the 26th of January, Dr Graham Grant was recognised for his distinguished services to medicine and to biomedical engineering as a pioneer of innovative equipment development. Graham's day job for many years was as an anaesthetist, but he was also a qualified engineer with a passion for inventing. And as we'll hear, the ingenious ways he combined his engineering and medical knowledge saved many lives and helped countless people. Dr Graham Grant, congratulations and welcome to the year that made me. Oh, thank you, Julian. It's nice to speak to you. Lovely to be speaking with you. In many families, Graham, becoming a doctor is a highly prized career aspiration, but I gather that wasn't the case in your family because you come from a long line of engineers. Your father and your grandfather were both engineers and you indeed followed into the family trade initially as an engineer. How did the shift to medicine come about and what did your family think of it? 
Well, I had an interest in the medical side of things uh, when I left school. And uh, But uh, I said to my father, look, Dad, I think I might like to do medicine. He said, oh, no. He said, that's ridiculous. You've always been interested <laughs> in uh, engineering things. It was right, too. And, uh, you know, uh, technology and that sort of thing. And uh, so anyway, I, I sort of took his advice and uh, I uh, went through, uh, originally obtained my uh, BE, that's Bachelor of Engineering from Sydney University in 1957. And at that point in time, I'd just done my uh, graduation thesis and I was living with some medical students and I I also had a girlfriend who's a physiotherapist and I was sort of thrown up against all this medical stuff and it, it started to interest me more and more. So I did my graduation thesis on medical apparatus and mm. uh, an engineering uh, look at it from a professional point of view. And uh, anyway, that uh, that sort of started me off from there, yes. Do you remember what your first medical invention was, Graham? <laughs> It, it was a, a flow meter, I th- but I, I sent it off to a, a company in America and they sent back an enormous list of prior art, <laughs> which <laughs> other people had sort of the same So it wasn't quite as much of an invention as you thought. <laughs> it sort of put me off a bit. But, uh, anyway, I think that was one of the first things, but I was quite proud of the, that I thought of something original anyway for me. <laughs> Indeed. So, Graham, despite the reservations of your engineer father, you decided that you would go ahead and study medicine. Yes, well, what I did, I went ahead and enrolled in Med 1 and um, at that year at Sydney University, there were 650 students in first year and there were only 250 in second year. So they just sort of drew the line, you know. And I, I thought, mm. that's, I don't like the situation here very much because, I mean, these, it wasn't as though these were all sort of dumb people. <laughs> I ended up getting a, a good professional job as um, assistant to the manager of the medical section of Commonwealth Industrial Gases. And that was a company who, in Sydney, uh, as well as supplying a lot of industrial gases, they had a medical section which supplied medical gases, oxygen and nitrous oxide mainly, and some others. And um, anyway, I ended up getting the job, and uh, I was sort of got well established there uh, over a couple of years, and. Uh, I got a very good experience with a, a range of medical apparatus, mainly uh, anaesthetic apparatus and uh, premature baby incubators, which were being m- manufactured by both equipment in Adelaide. And it um, wasn't a, a total loss. And I, I managed to pass Med 1. And uh, and I, I just I read an article in uh, the, the CIG. They had a good library and they used to get the Lancet and the British Medical Journal. And I, uh, I read an article on the London Medical School. So I just suddenly got a B in my model. I thought I was thinking I'd like to go overseas. So I... Uh, at that stage, as young Australians did, and um, I thought, oh, I'll take a break and I'll sort of go uh, go overseas, see if I can get into a London medical school. The chances weren't that high, and uh, yeah. and then uh, 
if I don't get in, I'll, I'll, I've had a sort of a bit of a break and come back and go on at Sydney. And Graham, you've chosen 1960 as the year that made you, which was the year that you transferred your medical studies from the University of Sydney to an institution in the UK. Tell us about that. What happened was that, uh, although it took me five weeks to get over there in, in a non-air-conditioned ship in those days, I had written ahead and said, explained what I was doing and said I, I'd done my thesis on medical apparatus and I was interested in that field and so forth. And uh, a number of them just said, well, you know, you've got perfectly good schools in your own country, stay there or something, you know. And others, when I got over there, I was granted interviews at St Mary's Hospital Medical School and University College. And at St Mary's, they had a really good interviewing system and a lot of consultants came out. And when I went in, a sheet of paper was on a table there in a room in my own, and they said, and it had write an essay on the value of an education at an English university to an Australian. So I thought, well, fair enough. I mean, so I thought, well, I'll explain that it was very overcrowded at Sydney University and uh, I didn't want to waste any more time. And there I was, you know. So I was ushered in. There was a whole, a whole lot of honorees and consultants and, and uh, sitting around and lecturers sitting around in a semicircle. There was a chair in the middle and uh, I thought, well, here it comes. They're going to go sort of right back into my academic things and all this. And, and uh, this chap stood up and said, well, what's your opinion of man going into outer space? And I said, oh, well, this is very exciting scientifically, I said, but uh, of course there's a paradox in this that man hasn't learned to live with him on himself on this planet. <laughs> and he said, uh, and you think that's equally as important? I said, yes, of course. So they said, oh, good, you know. <laughs> so it went on from there. They were clearly interested in other aspects of your life beyond just your medical knowledge. They asked you about your musical pursuits and things like that as well, did they? Uh, yes, they did. I was, um, I'm not a professional musician, but uh, I've had a lot of uh, enjoyment playing in jazz bands and things like that at the level we know that I do. And uh, I mentioned that and I was, I was used to write songs. Anyway, there you are. That was my, the big change really, because that meant that, they were taking me on at St Mary's Hospital Medical School. They only took 60 students a year, about 40% uh, female. So, uh, and there I had a place for the following year. So um, I, I then applied for a job at uh, British Oxygen Company as a design engineer and spent a year with them and then uh, started the medical course uh, in 1961. Now, Graham, while you were doing your medical degree in London, you continued working as a part-time engineer. And it was then, Graham, that you designed a groundbreaking and life-saving portable premature baby incubator. Could you tell us why that was such an important piece of equipment? Yes, because what had happened is that uh, the baby incubators that they used in the wards had become well-established, okay, and in right across the world, and they operated in 
a, a relatively stable environment of temperature and so forth, mainly temperature, so that uh, the ambulance people were complaining that they needed something on a winter's night in, in England and that sort of thing to keep the baby warm to get it to hospital. So it could be, uh, this is when people had uh, premature babies out in the field, you know. So um, I'd had the same experience uh, related to me in Sydney too, and I actually designed an incubator here to uh, do it. But again, I, I hadn't taken it to the degree of sophistication it needed. And, and when I got over there, I, I used this knowledge that I had behind me to design something that I think was required. The problem was that the attitude seemed to be uh, from those who uh, said we need this, that, uh, well, look, all they need is, is sort of a box with a hot water bottle or something in it, and that'll keep the baby warm and so forth. Well, it wasn't uh, anything like that. This was a much more serious sort of uh, approach that was needed because... Um, this was going out into a, a very cold environment, sometimes down to freezing point, and had to keep the baby warm on the ambulance battery, which couldn't take a, an extra load of more than about five amps. So you had to make a very sophisticated design which would retain all the heat and and uh, use it and keep the the temperature in the treatment chamber still adequate to save the baby. So, in fact, babies were coming in not alive to hospital because of this problem. I see. So the problem was that the, there was the incubator technology was there, but it was based in the hospital and the medical emergency was reaching really a crisis in the ambulance and that was something that you managed to find a fix for. That's right. In this field, that was the, uh, that was the basic problem, yes. That's hugely impressive and I'm sure you've uh, impacted huge numbers of lives because of that invention. On the Year That Made Me, we're speaking with Dr Graham Grant, who's one of the newly admitted officers of the Order of Australia for a life devoted to medicine and medical inventions. And Graham, we've talked about the portable incubator that you yes. invented, but you went on to invent a whole host of other things across your career. Laryngoscopes, humidifiers, anti-gravity feeds, alarms and adjustable flow meters. And a lot of the time this was sort of subsidised by your day job as an anaesthetist. I wondered, Graham, was... Well, it all was. <laughs> it all was, indeed, indeed. Um, so, Graham, was your invention work really focused on solving problems that you were encountering during your work as an anaesthetist or did, you, did your mind and curiosity range more broadly as well? Oh, no, it ranged a bit more broadly, you know. I think I had a creative talent that uh, you need initially, you know, but uh, the problem is that um, if you have a photographic memory, you, you, you can pass all your exams and get high marks and, and then they say, well, we're looking at him to go in the direction of uh, research. But uh, unfortunately, they're probably the least talented people who, do, who use their photographic memories to get there. As far as uh, creative work is concerned, 
that's why I'm glad I met my wife, actually, because she understood that process. She was a very, a very good artist, and uh, and she went to back to university to study art history and that. And uh, so she, she, we, we more or less ran parallel lives there. <laughs> And so you continued working as an ethicist, doing your inventions and also uh, writing songs and even uh, playing piano, jazz piano in pubs, I understand. <laughs> oh, yes, uh, that stage uh, back then, uh, yes, uh, that was part of the course, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and, Graham, you're 90 years old now, having retired in 2006, but I understand you still play the piano? Oh yes, if I, uh, you know it's funny. It sounds strange, but uh, I, I, there seem to be so many things that need doing around the place that I don't get that much time to sort of sit down <laughs> and just play, or it's you know it's not not appropriate at the time. But uh, yes, I, I, I still play, and I find that uh, playing the hard things is the way to go because I have to really think about what I'm doing. It's very easy to play. The Easy, easy stuff, you know. That, <laughs> <and> <laughs> you obviously like a challenge. And your love of music and the artistic side of things, which obviously you share with your wife as well, has been passed down to the next generation because I understand your daughter, Dr Alicia Grant, is a composer of music and I think this is a first for the year that made me, Graham, because the piece of music that you've chosen is actually composed by your daughter. What is that piece of music? Yes, that piece of music's called uh, Solar Flares. It's a, a very powerful four-minute string orchestral piece. And uh, Alicia's uh, quite a highly respected composer now uh, overseas. Um, she's had works performed in Carnegie Hall and uh, and also she did the Anzac anthem uh, one year in um, Westminster Abbey and that sort of thing. So she's well known there, but I guess she's a, a, a prophet in her own country. Is you know <laughs> sort of not so well known here. But anyway, uh, this this piece is uh, quite lovely. And uh, she told me, she said, I, I said, well, how would you describe it? She said, it's a work about never giving up and letting the light inside you shine in the face of adversity. So, what a beautiful um, sentiment. Yes. Uh, Graham, it's been delightful speaking with you. Congratulations on being admitted to the Order of Australia. And it's with great pleasure that we'll now have a listen to your daughter's composition, Solar Flares. Dr Graham Grant, thank you once again. Thank you so much, Julie.
rousing, intense piece of music is called Solar Flares and it was composed by Dr Alicia Grant, who's the daughter, as we heard, of our guest on The Year That Made Me, biomedical pioneer and new member of the Order of Australia, Dr Graham Grant. Uh, and, yes, yeah, Solar Flares by Dr Alicia Grant is the track. Thanks very much to those of you who texted in. Loving that track. Uh, Suzanne of Seaford says, what a brilliant piece of music. I agree, Suzanne. And thanks to Graham Grant also for speaking to us for The Year That Made Me. Graham, of course, chose 1960. And 1960, as it happens, has also been chosen by another of our previous guests on The Year That Made Me as their year. Pat O'Shane was the first female Aboriginal teacher in Queensland, the first, female, uh, first Aboriginal magistrate. And Pat chose 1960 because it was the year that she got confidence to stand up to the teachers who didn't believe in her, thanks to Paul Robeson. The next event that truly gave me my impetus was once I got to Teachers College, I attended a concert given by Paul Robeson in Festival Hall. He was a fighter for justice and uh, he was revered across the world for his stance against injustice wherever he saw it. It was just a natural extension of what I had come to know about society. Mm. I had some crazy teachers. They would tell me to my face that black kids couldn't learn. Yes, and you can find the full Pat O'Shane interview about 1960 and the year that made her online. And this year we're going to revisit some of the great chats we've had over the years on The Year That Made Me and we'll aim to pop some of those classics into your podcast feed as well with the Graham Grant one, which will be going up shortly. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.